Hello and good afternoon. This is Greg Lois. Thanks for joining me today. Let me turn off these auto captions because they say crazy things. Uh, if you're with us today, we're going to be talking about the off-premise uh, denial of cases in New Jersey, particularly going and coming type cases. Uh, but I'm going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the COVID-19 world just to start off because no one can get enough of that, right? Ha ha. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about commuting time injuries, off-premises injuries, and how we defend those types of claims. I'm going to talk about legal defenses as well as practical defenses to those claims. Uh, this is completely and totally live, so please feel free to type your questions to me. Um, I can see questions popping up at the end, and I will answer as many as I possibly can. I'll never say your full name. I just say uh, your first name. I read the question so everybody can hear it. Uh, and then I'll answer your question. And you're not limited to uh, today's topic, uh, which is again, on and off premises injuries and going and coming cases. Uh, and then I'm gonna give you a little sneak preview uh, at the end about the uh, hilarious topic we have next week. Uh, probably one of the most egregious cases of legal malpractice I've ever seen, which we're gonna use to talk about wage reconstruction in New Jersey. So uh, let's begin, COVID-19 update. Um, first, uh, if you're, if you're working from home today and you're just attending one more uh, web meeting with me, I appreciate you joining us. I know we've all got web meeting fatigue at this point, but let me give you a little update about what's going on in all the jurisdictions that we practice in and uh, give you some heads up. So uh, New York has a number of pending uh, legislation pending. Uh, nothing has changed the presumption yet uh, except for first responders in the special context of death claims. So there has been no uh, changes except for uh, first responders and governmental employees uh, in the context of death claims who are now afforded a presumption. Uh, all of the other pending legislation is still pending and is essentially seems to be stalled out at this time, uh, which is relatively good for us in New Jersey. Uh, there are multiple bills pending. Uh, the one that I've been watching most carefully has now moved from the Senate where it was S2380. It is now in the assembly, it's S3999. Uh, and this would create a presumption in favor of any employee deemed essential. Uh, this is a very wide ranging bill where if it passed, uh, if it passes uh, the assembly, it's currently in the labor committee of the assembly. Uh, we would expect that silly hearted governor Murphy to absolutely sign it and change the presumptions in favor of any one deemed essential. So again, none of those changes have actually happened yet, but we are absolutely watching them. I'm hoping that everybody watching today is getting my weekly email blast in which I bring you up to date with anything that's changing. If you miss anything on coronavirus, uh, we have a special section of our website. This is the kind of uh, thing you do nowadays. Seems like every defense firm has a coronavirus hub. Uh, we do. Uh, and we've put a lot of our latest articles and most up-to-date information in there. Uh, so it's loisllc.com slash coronavirus. Now, uh, on Friday, my partner, Christian Cison, uh released a amazing conversation he had uh, with Tashia Razul of this firm, but also with uh, two uh, risk professionals, uh, Mr. Barry, Michael Barry from uh, Willis Towers Watson, as well as Brian Palmer. And they had a long discussion in their podcast about how businesses are gonna be reopened and what are the steps they should take and what are the right precautions that this uh, broker uh, and insurance consultants are advising. So they had a really interesting conversation, particularly 
uh, of benefit to those of us defending workers' compensation cases, and they call it Back on Track. That's the Willis uh, Towers-Watson program, and that podcast uh, is Third Fridays. Now, if you wonder why my partner's podcast is called Third Fridays, and it's, he's had it uh, for, I think, four years now, is because Third Fridays in New York is traditionally the day the courts are closed, and this has been going back uh, at least 20 years, my entire career, then on the third Friday of the month, the courts were closed uh, to give everybody a respite from having to appear in court. And here at Lois Law Firm, our third Fridays uh, are usually spent in training or with our consultants or coaches. So we do a lot of CLE on those days. We do usually an infirm event. And for the summer, we're currently doing a mock trial. Uh, we do a mock trial program that is required for everyone in the entire firm to participate and we have teams of paralegals versus attorneys. So it's a lot of fun uh, in that respect. But uh, Third Friday prod Podcast, I recommend it. You can search it on Apple iTunes. It'll come up or in Google, it'll come up. And the most recent one had some really good information about reopening in, uh, and how businesses will reopen. All right, uh, let's switch back to our topic du jour, uh, which is defending off-premises injuries. I wanna remind everybody in New Jersey, you've got a lot of discovery and fact tools at your disposal, which we should absolutely be using. So first, uh, the most important information we're gonna get is from the employer. It's gonna be telling us, hey, where did the injury take place? Who was involved? Why was this person in that location? Um, I wanna remind everyone that in New Jersey, interrogatories are allowed for good cause. So essentially, we would, where we believe there may be a defense of uh, off-premises injury, it does not arise out of in the course of employment, I think that's absolutely good cause to be serving interrogatories upon the petitioner and saying, why were you where you were when this accident occurred? What were you doing? Who directed you to do that? And for whose benefit was it? Those are the important questions. Um, often, oftentimes, we're going to be looking at police reports, particularly for off-premises losses. And of course, uh, our advice is always don't rely on the story you get from petitioner's counsel, who is always zealously advocating for their own uh, client. Um, all right, here's my first reminder. This is completely live. Please ask me questions and I'll respond as soon as possible. All right, uh, what about employees in the regular commute? Well, uh, by statute, this is essentially eliminated. Uh, the normal commute to and uh, from work, any injury that occurs, not compensable. Uh, you know, sometimes it could be a challenge to find out if the person is really uh, in commute or not. Uh, sometimes the employer will send them on a special mission, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, paid commutes. Uh, what about people who are paid for their travel in and out of the workplace? Well, that can transform that travel into an incident of the employment. And I'll just remind everyone that uh, where the employer provides uh, transportation uh, credits, like there's a tax uh, program in place or there is a benefit, that is not the same thing as paying them for travel time. And so if your employer offers a benefit, for example, uh, reimbursement or allows them to do a set aside from their uh, pay uh, to be set aside for things like tolls and parking, not compensable. Um, how about where the employer provides transportation? In general, that will transform the commute into a compensable travel and any injuries that occur during that commute can be compensable. What about where the employer owns the transportation system, the method of uh, transportation? Uh, for example, a bus company, uh, a train company, uh, in the context of the New Jersey Transit Authority, and we've got a transit employee who's on a transit bus and maybe using their free bus pass that's provided to them as part of their employment, traveling to and from work. 
Now, there's case law on that, and the case law says that in general, it's just a regular commute. Just because they're using transportation uh, that's owned by the employer, meaning the entire transportation system or network, does not trans transform that into a, uh, a specific benefit to the employer, an incident of the employment. And so in those cases, you should prevail in defending those. All right, uh, we already talked about commuter benefits. In other words, uh, tax set aside, for example, um, as uh, not being sufficient to transform a regular commute into an incident of the employment. All right, here's a common one I get, which is with sales representatives. So, you know, where we have a employer where the employee uh, is traveling from customer to customer, or client to client, and they've got multiple uh, places that they go during the day. Well, which one of those travels uh, is compensable if they were injured during that travel? Which one would it? Uh, so the answer is, uh, first, let's figure out, does this root sales representative, does this sales rep, does this salesperson, this customer service person, are they going to the same places every day? You know, are they seeing the same clients and on a schedule? And if so, uh, we've been successful in arguing that that first trip of the day from their home to their first client of the day, let's say they always visit client or customer A on Mondays. That's the regular commute, even though it's a different place of employment each day of the week uh, and from week to week, for example. The fact that it's on a schedule, it's very understood that this is where they're going, it's clearly part of their regular commute. Now, once they leave that first customer of the day uh, and then they're going to their next customer, pretty clear to me that now they're not in their regular commute anymore because they're going from customer to customer, from specific location to specific location, all of that is at the benefit and request of the employer. All of that will be compensable. All right, um, how about uh, parking lot cases? When we bring a parking lot claim to my attention and you're saying, Greg, should we accept this or deny this case? I'm always gonna ask you basically the same first two questions and then a final question. The first question I'm gonna say is, do we own the lot where that slip and fall took place? Two. Did we maintain the lot where that slip and fall take place? And if the answer to both of those is no, we neither own nor maintain that lot. Three, did I tell the employee to park there? In other words, was this my direction as to where they park? And you know that comes into context, particularly in the retail scenario, a number of retailers all sharing space in a mall, for example. And uh, we tell our employees, you know what, don't park in these good parking spots right in front of my uh, location. I want you to go park in the employee parking lot on the other side of the mall, really far out there, so that the employees or the patrons, I'm sorry, so the patrons get, uh, you know, the uh, a better parking situation. Well, once I direct them to go park somewhere specific, uh, that's going to transform that entire walk from their parked car into my place of employment as compensable. And again, that's in the absence of ownership or maintenance of that parking facility. All right, how about those uh, non-commuting travel costs or, or exposures? And this is really where we're sending people to conferences, to off-site meetings, maybe they're going to corporate for the week uh, to go do some training or something like that. You know, uh, in general, we're sending them maybe on a plane or they're going to a different state. And the question is, well, what part of that travel is compensable? What part of it isn't? The answer is all of the travel that's necessary and directly assigned and uh, in the direct performance of their duties is gonna be compensable. So generally the travel from uh, the, their 
home to the remote location is going to be compensable. Then they check into a hotel and maybe they go out to dinner with their customers or their colleagues. And after dinner, they go out to drinks. And now they get into an accident because they're pretty drunk. Is that compensable? Uh, oftentimes the answer to that will be no, because now uh, they're out of the employer-required travel and they're doing something purely personal and nothing that accrues a benefit to the employer. So, you know, we start to look into the particulars of those off-site accidents, start to really think about whether those are or are not compensable. All right, personal or special errands. So uh, we work in my building is right across the street from a Starbucks. Uh, people swing by the Starbucks all the time to collect uh, coffee for us, and that's why this video sort of uh, is the example of that. Uh, what happens if the employee is sent across the street to get Starbucks, has that slip and fall, and gets injured? Well, it's going to come down to how compelled or directed um, that employee was. Uh, when I say, hey, could you pick me up Starbucks? You're going across the street. Could you get it for me too? Uh, me, as their supervisor, manager, or boss, uh, asking them to go across the street and pick me up something for my personal comfort, might be my own personal errand or sending them on a special errand, can transform that into something compensable. Uh, now, we've had the opposite as well. In New York, I was defending a case in which the employee was walking across the street, literally across the street, to go to Dunkin' Donuts. No one told her to do it. She didn't ask for permission. She wasn't punching out or anything. She was just getting up in the middle of the day every day and walk across the street, go to, go to start, uh, Dunkin' Donuts and come back. And she then she slipped and fell on the street and claimed that she was injured and uh, brought a workers' compensation claim. And our response was, nobody told you to do that. No one directed you to do it. No one even encouraged it because we didn't even know you were doing this thing that you were doing. And so in that case, it was found not to be compensable. So again, we're going to look into the specifics of those types of claims and see if they are or are not compensable. All right, last one, and this one's incredibly uh Prevalent nowadays with more and more people working from home. I'm going to bring up my favorite case, which is Renner versus AT&T. Now, this is an employee working from home and working from home. Apparently, to her, men, I work from home 24-7. Uh, and she claims, or her husband claims because she passed on, um, that she was checking emails at like one in the morning. And maybe she was getting upset from this and having high blood pressure. It triggered her off and she had a huge ischemic cardiac event. And so the question here in this case, and it was disputed by AT&T, and they said, well, there's nothing compensable about that. First of all, uh, no one told her uh, that she should be checking emails at one in the morning. And then the fact that she had a heart attack a few hours later, really it's nothing to do with anything work-related. There's no proof of that. And she could have just had that heart attack just as well anywhere. It really had nothing, there's nothing time and place related to the employment. Uh, that case went up to the Supreme Court in New Jersey, which agreed with AT&T and said, really, look, uh, you know, just because you're working from home doesn't mean everything that happens in your entire life is compensable. You know, she obviously had a number of pre-morbidities uh, that uh, would predispose her to have ischemic events. She was a very large lady, et cetera. And for all those reasons, the case was found not compensable. So not every injury that happens at home is going to be compensable. But my warning to you is, uh, once the employee's regular place of employment is their own home, yes, we are going to be responsible uh, for th uh, things that occur to them in their own home. I've defended claims where the employee claims they fell off their own chair inside their own home office and hit their head on their own filing cabinet and have brought a claim for that. Unfortunately, we have to defend those claims because there's nothing we can do to really dispute them. 
we do have to do a good investigation, ask a lot of questions to make sure that this is really something that should be on our plates. Uh, I've also defended claims in which the claimant said they were going down to the end of their driveway uh, to go get their mail and they slipped and fell. I said, well, were you getting mail that was your employer's mail or your own personal mail? The answer was it was their personal mail and that should not be compensable. Same thing with employees who are out walking their dogs during the day, taking care of people, in the, uh, their ki kids, for example, going in their own backyard, slipping and falling back there. Really, all of that should be uh, disputed and absolutely investigated. Uh, very few of these work from home injuries are truly going to be compensable once you look into them. All right, uh, some practical takeaways that you can use every day. First of all, uh, where we think that there is a dispute and where the injury may not have arisen and uh, out of the course of the employment, so there's some kind of jurisdictional defense here, uh, my advice is always to be uh, going after those interrogatories asking a lot of questions, doing the discovery. And most of these cases, you're gonna to have to go on motion to get those interrogatories served and responded to by your adversary. I think really good set of questions with strategic intent. We should not be using canned or formed interrogatories. If you're really coming up with interrogatories that fit your case, uh, particularly in the case of the employees traveling offsite for things like conferences or events, and particularly for situations like these work at home injuries that we're seeing. Um, our advice is also to be prepared to pursue that information aggressively in order to set the case up for a Section 20 lump sum dismissal by bringing either a motion to compel or a motion for failure to prosecute should the petitioner refuse or not respond to those interrogatories. All right, covered a lot of stuff today. Before I talk about the preview about what we're going to talk about next week, uh, please ask me any questions you have. So. Uh, right now, uh, if you haven't typed in your question just yet, please do so now. Uh, there is a little question box. I'm going to open it up over here, and I should be able to see if we have any questions. All right, so far I've got zero. So if you haven't typed in your question yet, I'm going to start talking about uh, what we're talking about next week. I think it's going to be a fun, or next month, I should say. It's going to be a fun topic. Next month, uh, we're our scheduled topic is wage reconstruction. Uh, in New Jersey, and it's a thorny topic, and it's one that we've wrestled with in the past. And there's a recent decision on wage reconstruction in New Jersey. In fact, it just came out last week. Uh, it's called Clara versus Target. And in this case, it's just a comedy of errors uh, to be reviewed as to what went on in this case, in which the judge deemed that the uh, petitioner's wage should be reconstructed. It approximately doubled the exposure to the employer in this case. And it just looks like there were almost no proofs offered in defense. And so when you read the appellate level decision, it's just a what not to do when you're defending a wage reconstruction case in New Jersey. I said, wow, this is perfect. Uh, thank you, uh, attorneys representing Target in that case, because uh, you've given me a great topic. I was The topic was wage reconstruction, which can be a little bit uh, esoteric um, and very controversial. And next month, we're going to have the really the perfect case to lead us into that topic, uh, which was just decided last week by the New Jersey Appellate Division. So we'll have some fun with that. All right. I'm hoping that uh, if anybody had any questions, now they typed them in. I'm still seeing zero. So that means uh, this was a relatively straightforward topic. Uh, just as, as always, just want to remind everyone, join us next month. Uh, we'll be talking about wage reconstruction. And we'll be going through that fun case of Clara versus uh, uh, Target. Uh, I can't wait to see everybody here. I hope you have a great rest of the month. Enjoy the weather, everybody. Okay, bye.